Take your Bibles this morning and go to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Genesis 1, it will be easy to find once again. And we will um, continue our Elephant in the Room series. Now, uh, kids, if you have your worship, wow, worship bags, now's the time to pull them out. There's some worksheets in there for you to mess with and uh, use this morning while I teach. This elephant still needs a name. Today is the last day. You can suggest names for this elephant. You want to turn those in, put them in the giving kiosk, email me, whatever you need to do. Major award coming. You get to name the elephant. So uh, make sure you do that. Uh, Also, if you've been finding the little elephant sitting all over the building, we've done that through our entire series entitled Elephant in the Room. And um, once again, they're out there today. If you found those, Scott and Kelly have a prize for you. If you have uh, found one of those elephants this morning, doesn't matter what age you are, there's a prize. Prize available for everybody. If you're with us last night, uh, thanks for being here. We had a great time. This room had a wrestling ring in the middle of it. Um, we had wrestling take place in here. Uh, who knew that could happen? And um, we, had, we had a fun time. We, we moved the ring from outside inside late. Uh, made a last-minute decision to bring it in, so about 5 o'clock, with the doors opening at 6, we began moving the ring into the room. Uh, it was set up, and we were ready for the uh, 6 o'clock door opening. 7 o'clock wrestling happened here. Uh, we were trying to avoid the rain. That also means that um, we spent some money uh, to have the event that we didn't use. We have a nice set of outdoor lights that we didn't use last night that we had rented also. Just so you guys are aware, right here next to the building, there's a porta pot that we rented that has not been used. Um, so there's reserved seating available there today. We don't want to waste our money. Uh, feel free at any time to wander out that way. Um, use it. Leave a note for the next person if you want. Whatever you want to do. Um, but we rented it. It's ours. It won't be picked up until later in the week. And so all week long you can come by and, and, and visit with that. We would love to have you come by. Anyway. Um, today we continue our series at uh, Elephants in the Room. Uh, and today we're going to talk about the binary elephant, the binary elephant. And so we're going to have a conversation today that is going to be interesting, um, to say the least. Um, uh, and uh, for some, uh, a little bit uh, helpful, we hope, uh, and hopefully encouraging along the way. I, I had a note um, from a friend who uh, saw we were getting ready to do this, and he said, Jeff, are you sure you're going to talk about that today? <laughs> It's understandable. And here's what you have to know. There are many families who have family members who are dealing with this issue. You have friends who have family members who are dealing with a number of issues um, like this. And they're making life choices based upon gender identity. And they are listening very much to the things that are happening in the culture around us. Not a single day goes by to some story that has um, some type of, of notation about this that doesn't hit the news cycle. Our kids hear about it in school. Our kids deal with it in our school settings. And so you have to understand that we can't be fearful of having a conversation based on biblical truth about a life-changing subject like this. Because if we can't talk about it at church, where can you talk about it? And so this morning... Uh, We're going to have what is not going to be an uncomfortable conversation for most of you, but a conversation that I hope will be helpful and remind you of who you are and who you are created to be. And when you build your life on that kind of biblical truth, then amazing things can happen in the trajectory of your life. Be a forever change. And so that's where we're going to be this morning over the next couple minutes. Um, 
Genesis 1. We're going to look at verses 26 through 31. It says this, and if you'll keep your Bibles open, we're going to kind of move through those verses over the next few minutes. It says, And God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The oldest computer in the world can be traced back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. Most of you didn't know that. That's a surprise to you. It was an apple. It had a limited memory. Only one bite. And it crashed. Um, Adam and Eve also, if in case you didn't know, they had an ideal marriage. He didn't have to hear about all the men she could have married. And she didn't have to hear about the way that his mother cooked. <laughs> and then after, it was after the fall that Adam and Eve were uh, kicked out of the Garden of Eden, that Adam was walking with his sons Cain and Abel, they passed the gates of the Garden of Eden where the angel was guarding it so they couldn't come back in. And one of the boys said, boy, that looks like a nice place behind that gate. What is that over there? And Adam said, well, that's where we used to live so your mother ate us out of house and home. Now, there is an old adage uh, that, uh, that says, uh, that talks about the elephant in the room. It's an obvious truth that everybody ignores. And so today, we're going to jump into a topic uh, and hopefully remind you of who you are and who you are created to be, and also touch on some other things that are uh, culturally relevant um, and, and hopefully helpful and reaffirming for the truth that you can build your life on. So go back to the verse. It says at the very beginning, uh, let us make man in our image. I want you to write at front that the image of God is who we are as human beings. It is our most basic, our most original calling. God calls us from the beginning of time to live in and up to the image that he has created us to live in. That's who we are. In light of who he is and what he has called us to be, God has made man, woman, in his image. It is there that we find a sense of community. It's there we find a sense of connection. And it's there that we find the freedom to communicate with our creator. It's given to us as man, woman, and no other creature. See, when sin entered the world, that connection would broke down. It wasn't erased. It was defaced. It wasn't destroyed. It was damaged. Because God never stopped trying to reach back into humanity and connect with people, and he found a way to make it happen. If you want a one-sentence summary of how God makes us, it's simply this. In God's very good design, he created every one of us male and female. Now, over the past few years, there has been a transgender tsunami that has swept our nation that challenges that man-woman blueprint, which lies at the foundation, the family, in society, and it's unprecedented. And so it is safe to say that in our culture today, it is trendy to be trans, and there's nothing offended, offensive about that. It just is. It's trendy to be trans. If you answer back to that and say, well, I believe in the Bible, I believe in the Genesis story of how man and woman were created, you're accused of being bigoted or transphobic. And here's what you need to know, because 
those are not words you have to cower from. When you're called a bigot, by definition, a bigot is intolerant devotion to one's own unreasonable opinions and beliefs that differ from someone else's. That's what it means when you call somebody a bigot. You have to understand that we live in the United States of America, which is the most tolerant society on the face of this earth. You can't go anywhere else on earth and find a society more tolerant than the USA. Is how that tolerance comes the freedom to have different opinions. And just because someone has a different opinion does not make their opinion unreasonable. So when someone calls you a bigot, they're saying that your opinion is unreasonable because it doesn't agree with theirs. That's ridiculous. And so you ought not to let that offend you, nor should you let it stop you from sharing or cow, make you cower that your opinion is wrong. See, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an opinion that should be based on biblical truth. That doesn't make you a bigot. And it doesn't mean that when someone calls you that, you have to be fearful of that. People basically fall into one or two categories, male or female. That idea is known as gender binary. It's a good place to address some of the cultural confusion that comes along um, when we talk about biological sex and gender. If you feel confused, don't worry. You're not alone. It's confusing. Because it seems like every week there's another word that's introduced or a word that is redefined. And so the definitions seem to be a little bit more fluid than we would think. But there's things like gender, assigned gender, gender dysphoria, gender identity, gender expression, transgender, non-binary, and transsexual, just to name a few. And we're not going to talk about those things specifically. We'll unpack them probably a little bit more on Wednesday evening. But here's what you have to understand, that the current trans movement is the opposite of Genesis creation. It is a different narrative. It stands in opposition to what the Bible says about man and woman and how they were created. So as a result, there is conflict. No doubt about it. There is a a butting of heads, if you will, that take place in our culture. In some ways, those two thoughts are natural enemies. The reason is because that people who have decided to play God and want to be God hate to be reminded of the truth that they're not. Now, that's just not in the transgender conversation. No, that's all of us, isn't it? I mean, when we do something that we don't know goes against what God wants, when we do something that's disobedient, when we do something that doesn't line up with what he wants, we hate to be called out on that. Because uh, nobody wants uh, to have to be accountable to God. And yet when you get to gender issues, when you get to those moments where we start thinking about how we were created and how we were made, uh, there is God's way and then there has got to be some other way if you don't believe that. And one or the other don't match up. And so it's not bashing. What it is, is a a basic look at your gender based on biblical truth. That's what we're going to do today. And you can build your life on that. Um, I told you a couple weeks ago, before the Easter elephants, that what you do with that phrase, in the beginning God created, changes everything else that happens in the Bible and changes everything else about your life as you live it. 
If you don't believe that in the beginning God created, then the regulator's off. You've got a lot of wiggle room to create anything you want, to believe anything you want with your life. But if you really do believe that in the beginning God created, then everything that comes after that will change the way that you live your life. It will change the way that you face life. It will change the way that you deal with truth in a world that sometimes is going to lie to you. And so once again, we come back to the creation story, the Genesis story, which is powerful and real and something that we have to understand. And so the three things, there's three things I want you to see today. The first one is I want you to remember your Genesis. I want you to remember your personal Genesis. We each have our own Genesis, our beginning, if you will. Is a part of the uniqueness that we have that God shapes into us. Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Those words in Hebrew, and maybe even in your Bibles, depending on the translation you're looking at, are arranged in three lines. Usually it's broken up that way. Each line is done with its own poetic repetition and cadence. And it's not an accident. It's different than the rest of the narrative that you find in Genesis. Just as a poem is often written to accentuate something that's carefully chosen with words and images, understand that it's written that way because God is celebrating with superlative language how God has created men and women in his image. In other words, God is excited about this. He is thrilled about the way that he has created man and woman. This is what he has placed his image into. And so even in the narrative that we have in Hebrew, it breaks down and it looks very, very different than the rest of the text. God does it on purpose. He's putting an emphasis here. This is what he wants us to know about what he has done. And in the first word we looked at in verse 27, so. So connects it back to verse 26. In other words, it expresses agreement or confirmation. Three times in those verses the word created is used. It emphasizes the uniqueness of God creating mankind as male and female. From this point on, humanity is divided in two groups, male and female. In addition, God uses the word image twice for emphasis. So we understand that we are made in his image. When you ponder the phrase, male and female, he created them. In Hebrew, it literally reads this way, as male and female created he them. In other words, males and females are equal, but not identical. God has done it differently. Each biological sex is different, and it's unique. And so God created men and women on purpose with different purposes. That's his design. And we've been made differently by design. Uh, so that we can do what it is that we're supposed to do on the face of the earth. See, when I said to you earlier again, in the beginning God created, what you believe about that has everything to do with how you're going to live the rest of your life. Because if you believe that God has created you for a purpose, a divine purpose, and you get up every day trying to connect to your creator and become what it is that he wants you to be and flesh that out. If you don't believe that, or if you want to create your own rules of how to live life, then you don't get up in the morning with the desire to fulfill your divine purpose. You get up in the morning to figure out what it is that you think you're supposed to do that is going to make you feel good or bring you joy or make you fulfilled or make you happy. And so we live in a world, a culture, where people get up that each day and that's the direction that they go. Because they don't tie into the fact that God created them and they don't believe that God has placed them here for a purpose. 
which leaves them floundering, which makes life difficult, which makes life uh, a little bit harder to figure out and navigate. There are characteristics that we have that distinguish between male and female, different reproductive organs, different external anatomy, and the presence or absence of a Y chromosome. Most of you went to biology in high school. You know that. That's what you learn. Gender also, though, is part of the grand design and our conception. DNA is put into uh, our reproductive organs. God is the giver of gender. Hear that again. God is the giver of gender. It's not mine to decide. It's not mine to make that decision. God is the one who gives that to us. Males and females don't have interchangeable, uh, interchangeable anatomy. And the differences between men and women are not inconsequential. The Bible and biology make that clear. Imagine Adam looking back at God after he was created and said, God, you know, could you make a few improvements? You made me wrong. I'd like for you to change a few things. Can you do this? We know that wouldn't happen. But yet, we live in a day and age where that is the attitude. Now, the Bible also uses the phrase, according to its kind, or their kinds, in that first chapter of Genesis, um, ten times, to remind us that God does some separation of species. God does some separation of genders. God separates things and puts some order into his creation. God establishes the categories, if you will, of creation. He also used the word separate five times in the first chapter, meaning to set apart. And so between verse 1 and verse 27 of Genesis, and we didn't look at all those, these are the things that God separates. He separates the light from the darkness. He separates the water above from the water below. He separates dry land from the waters below. He separates the day from the night. And he separates humankind into two, two sexes, male and female. When you live in a world where the creative distinctions that God makes are allowed to be fluid, it pushes you back into a place of chaos, leaving you formless, without direction, and unfulfilled. So let me give you a heard that. This would be heard that number 11. We're giving these principles as what they are. But you have to hear this. You were created on purpose for a purpose. That's your genesis. You're created on purpose for a purpose. What that means is that there's nobody in this room that's an accident. There's nobody in this room um, that was mass produced. You are not uh, something off an assembly line. Um, You were deliberately planned, specifically gifted, and lovingly positioned where you are on planet Earth to fulfill the purpose that God has for you right now. That's who you are. That's how he made you. And that's good. And that's something that you should celebrate. Because you are here, not by accident, but on purpose. And you're here for a purpose. And you were created by a master craftsman who is a master creator who knows exactly what it is that you need to do what you were created to do. That's where you come from. And so for everybody in this room, when you look in the mirror, that's who you are. 
That's huge. And if you can remember and tie your life and hang your life on the idea that God created you that way, you've taken that first step towards staying out of some of those shifting sands that seem to happen in the culture around us. Second thing I want you to see is I also want you to see the genius of your Genesis. The genius of your Genesis. Look at verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, for they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has a breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. When you drop down to Genesis 1.28, we see how Adam and Eve were made to complement each other, and that they were supposed to be fruitful and multiply, and it's all part of that blessing that God gives to them. What does he say? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Because of God's creative and wise design, Adam and Eve were a perfect fit for one another. And it was God's plan for them uh, to flourish. And when it was done, it is that moment, and I know you've heard this before, that when God looked back at the creation, he just didn't say it was good. He said it was very good. Genesis 1.31, and behold, it was very good. The word good means well-pleasing. The word very has the idea of being exceedingly great. So in other words, when God looked at it, he was convinced that what he had created was exceedingly great, better than anything else that he was done. And it made him happy to create man and woman that way. He's the one that said it. It's not just good. It is very good. And so when you look at the progression in those verses, human beings were made in the image of God. He made them to be male and female. He gave them the ability to procreate. And when it was all said and done, he called it very good. If you agree with God and you believe that his creation is good, then you find yourself able then to live life differently. If you don't believe that God has done a good job, if you don't believe that his creation is very good, or if you would dare to say differently or publicly that God didn't do it well, then you have put yourself in a very unique position, in a very tough position, and it either comes from a number of things. It comes from a place of confusion. Uh, It comes from a place where there is some type of of wellness that, that needs to be addressed, or it comes from a place... It can be incredibly dark. But all of those, by the way, are Satan's playground. And he loves nothing more than for people to be confused about who they are and where they've come from and what they were created to be. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. You were created by God the way that you are. And in his eyes, he says you are very good. That's you. And that's huge. And that's biblical truth. Because that's what the creator has said about his creation. The third thing I want you to see is I also want you to see the gender of your Genesis. The gender 
of Genesis, because God's way is always best. And contrary to the thinking in our current culture, I want you to hear this, binary is not bad. Binary is not bad. As a matter of fact, binary is beautiful. Because we just looked at it. God said it's very, very good. Gender is not a social construct or something that you get to choose as an identity. Your gender was designed and determined by God for you before you were born. Psalm 139, 13-14 says, Because God formed you in your inmost parts in, your, in the womb before you were born, He says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so to say it another way, your biological sex and gender are fixed and finite, not fluid. Because God's the one that did it. Again, we come back to what do you do with the phrase, in the beginning God created. That doesn't mean that there's not a struggle. doesn't mean that at all. doesn't mean that there's not folks who are really uh, having struggles over their gender and trying to figure out who and what they're supposed to be. It can be a struggle indeed, and we have to be people who are loving and willing and trying to help and to be encouraging without compromising biblical truths. Because see, the accusation is always, if you push back, if there is some resistance, if, if you have trouble communicating what it is uh, that you believe, um, that somehow that's intolerant and you're not loving them. But you can share truth and you should love them enough to share the truth in a loving way. Oh, that's not easy, by the way. It's a lot easier to take attitude. It's a lot easier uh, just, just, just to start bashing. It's a lot easier uh, just to pontificate. But at the end of the day, if you're a follower of God and you have an understanding of where you've come from and how you were created, then you have a job to do. And your job is to love and to do that loving in a way that honors and brings glory to God. So let me give you another heard that because this applies, again, to every area of life. Struggles are real, but struggles don't change reality. One of the worst phrases ever introduced into our culture, into mankind, into our vocabulary is, well, that's how it feels to me. Okay. That's how it feels to you. It just means that there's a struggle. It just means that something's going on. But everyone struggles. We struggle in every area of life. But your struggles don't have to to have anything to do with reality. And your struggle doesn't make something more real. It just means there's something that you're struggling through. And you have to understand struggles from that standpoint as well. Reality and truth are the things that God creates. Your struggles usually revolve around how you're trying to fit into that. And everyone in this room struggles. Your struggle may be different than someone else's. But the struggle is real and it's there. But you have to understand that struggles don't change reality. Genesis 2.18 says this. This is what happened when God saw that Adam was alone. It said, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. And so then we have the story of how Eve was created. Eve was made to compliment Adam in every way. And after a delightful description of how God creates woman, the first recorded words, by the way, if you're interested in trivia... On the face of human history, ever uttered or recorded by man, takes place in verse 23. Adam sees Eve, and the first words ever by man are heard. And it says, 
This is at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam's so excited he burst into some kind of wow. By the way, Adam liked this. Adam was happy that Eve showed up. When he saw her, now this is not really written in Scripture, but you can just write this down, this really happened. When he saw her, he went, whoa, man. Which is where we get the word woman. Not really, but you can ride with that if you want to. See, God's answer to Adam's loneliness is simple. It is profound. He gave Adam a partner. She was like him. She came from him, yet she was different from him. And we know that because, again, back in the Hebrew, in the original language, the words are different. The word for man is ish, I-S-H, translated into English. The word for woman is ish-ah. I-S-H-A-H, as translated into English. In other words, they are unique creations of God, but very, very different in the eyes of God and in the eyes of each other. And in chapter 2, when you get to the end of that, it ends with harmony in the home. This amazing verse, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So when life is good, you just run around naked and not ashamed of it. Right? Yeah, you ever been in a house with a little kid? Little kids before they know any better? They just run around naked. You ever a little kid you couldn't keep in a diaper? They're around naked all the time. And when you're a parent, it's so embarrassing because some every once in a while your child will run out naked in front of guests. And you're afraid that they're gonna think you're a horrible parent because you don't know how to dress your child, but tell them tell them they feel no shame. They run around naked. It was when sin enters the world that all of a sudden they go, whoa, we're naked. We got to do something about that. So they go skirting through the leaves looking for something to make something to cover themselves, to hide themselves because they're naked from God. Hopefully they stayed out of the poison ivy, but somehow, some way, they did it. And God said, what is wrong with you? Because all of a sudden sin had entered and things changed. But what it didn't change is the way that he had created man and he created woman. I, uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and every worship service we do tends to be a little bit different. Uh, some of you figured that out. So some of you will watch both or will listen to both or you kind of go back and forth. And, and usually you guys are a little bit more fortunate because by the time 11.15 comes, it gives me an opportunity to clean up anything I screwed up at 9 o'clock. And, and there are often things that I have to relook at after... After the 9 o'clock worship service, that crowd is less spiritual than you, obviously. And, um, um, but I made a statement, and it wasn't in my notes. And I made it, and, and it got more reaction than I thought it was going to get. But I didn't say it at 11.15. Uh, but I will use it for you today. I, I, the, the sad part is, I mean, when you think about this issue that's going on around us, I mean, the culture today, there's a push in our culture. And you have to understand it. You have to realize it. There's a push today in our culture to eliminate an entire category of gender. And that's women. I mean, if you're a woman in the house today, you have to understand that the movement of our culture is to design to eliminate an entire culture, and that's you. If you think back to the first century in Jewish culture, a woman was not as valuable as a man. 
A woman didn't carry the value of a man. A woman had less rights than a man. But that is the current push of our culture. You say, no, 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 that's not happening. Yes, 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 it is. Because the battle of the sexes is over and it's been proven now. Anything a woman can do, man can do better. USA Today's Woman of the Year is a man. ESPN's Athlete of the Year, man. Hershey's Woman of the Year is a man. As a culture, we are giving awards designed for women to men, and the culture feels virtuous while they're doing it. And what they are doing is pushing away the value of womanhood that God has created for you women. I I sometimes wonder where the outcry is. I wonder where all the advocates for women are today. I wonder sometimes why no one wants to champion the cause for women because if God exists, and he does, by the way, we are accountable to him. And if God is a creator, and he is, he and he alone sets the rules for design and creation. That is not humanity's to do. No matter how bad we want it, no matter how loud someone yells, no matter how difficult it seems, and no matter how real the struggle. And again, go back to what I said. There is real struggle. But it is so important that we get this right because how you were created will define the trajectory of your life forever. And understanding that is what opens the door for you to understand and communicate and to connect to God. We did a wrestling event in here last night. Um, Wrestling, I I, I know some of you don't like wrestling, and that's okay. Wrestling is sports entertainment. Uh, We did a whole series on wrestling, and we determined in that that while the end is predetermined, the way that you get there is not always. In wrestling, they call it going over. So last night, we provided commentary for this wrestling event, and we had a sheet, a list, that said who was fighting who, and then there was a column, who's going over. So we didn't know how they were going to get there. We just knew who was going to win. Okay. Your end is predetermined if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. How you get there is up to you. But the fun of wrestling is... Yeah, unless you get to the upper level of the WWE and those pay-per-views where you go to WrestleMania and the main event will last an hour and these guys will just beat on each other for days and they do incredible things. But that's a very small group of professional wrestling. Most of professional wrestling is is a little bit more um, community-oriented, smaller venues. People do it for the love of that type of entertainment. And so... Normal wrestling match only lasts 15 minutes. Six minutes to get into the ring. I mean, the first six minutes of it is people walking to the ring and harassing people in the crowd, and the, bat, the heels. They, 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 they harass people in the crowd. And then the baby face comes in and takes all the applause. You, you usually introduce the heel first. They're the bad guy. Everybody wants to boo. They get the crowd working. And then the baby face comes in and everybody goes, ah. Well, that's the first six or seven minutes of the match. So then they wrestle for like, you know, Five minutes. Then it takes them another three, four, five minutes to get out. So a wrestling match really doesn't last very long. That's why sometimes 
uh, an aging wrestler can extend his career because what they do is they just get hit the first time they lay in the middle of the ring. <laughs> they have to lay there for four minutes. The other person just beats on them for four minutes, and they do one thing. They win. They walk out. I mean, it's the way, I mean, it, it, it's, that's just the way the sport works. But the other part of wrestling is fun, and we saw a little bit of it last night, and, and some, some parts better than others, obviously, but when the wrestlers work the crowd. Because the great wrestlers have the ability to work the microphone. Those are the guys that are memorable. My favorite of all time is Dusty Rhodes. Oh, man. When I was a kid in the 70s, I watched Dusty Rhodes every Saturday night. Florida Championship Wrestling, Georgia Championship Wrestling. And Dusty Rhodes got a hold of Mike. You never knew what was going to happen. And neither did, by the way, uh, the guys that were commentators. And you can go to YouTube today and find out some of those Dusty Rhodes rips that are out there. He has one called Hard Times that has been imitated by people all over the world. But Dusty Rhodes is amazing because Dusty Rhodes, he didn't look like an athlete. And he's kind of funky looking from Texas. And he has a, had a little bit of a lisp. But Dusty could work the mic. And Dusty Rhodes would start talking like this. And he would start telling you how good he was. And he was a plumber's son from Texas. And he's winding down with kings. And been out in the alley eating pork and beans. <laughs> he was a man of the hour, the tower of the power, too sweet to be sour. And the plumber's son from West Texas became the American dream, Russell Rose. And with that in mind, I want to remind you today that each one of you are a heart thumping, work pumping. Hard rocking, soul shaking, magic making, earth quaking, love shaking, gift bearing, justifying, death defying, legendary, eternal, immortal follower of Jesus Christ. And in Him and in Him alone will you discover who you are supposed to be. Yeah, let's pray. God, we are your design. Put here on purpose for a purpose. And we live in a world that sometimes is working really hard to strip away the value of that to tear away the security of that and to offer solutions that are less than healing, less than hopeful and frightening at best. And so I pray that you would help us as a people who do see what you have done and value the way that you have created us to be able to speak into a world that needs to hear it with biblical truth not afraid of the names we might be called not fearful of the ramifications of it but simply to be able to speak the truth 
in love with a desire to come alongside and help and encourage and to love people enough to share hope. What are some in this room, some who are watching online, who have never had the opportunity, never taken advantage of the invitation to believe and trust and follow Jesus? Lord, today, I would pray that if they're in this room, before they would leave this morning, they would drop in our giving kiosk a, a note from the worship flyer and say, I, I want to accept Jesus as Savior. Give us a chance to talk to them about that and what that means and what that decision means. To watch you online, I pray that they would just send us an email right now and just let us know that that's the choice they want to make. Give us a chance to uh, connect with them, encourage them, help them to find places to connect and grow. Because that decision allows us to discover this thing called abundant life that you have created and breathed into each one of us. Well, there are others in this room who, uh, we've got that right, but the world around us sometimes is just uh, so confusing. So Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and and you would give us some clarity and discernment so we wouldn't be confused. But that you would give to us an opportunity to be able to share and love those who most need your love so that we might gently nudge them closer to you and help them to discover the completeness and wholeness that only you can give. It's our prayer our hope, our desire on this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.